you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Won't be uh, the only passage we look at this morning. Um, we're going to actually look at several, but we'll spend some time there. So it'll be as good as any to turn to in your Bibles. It's a good Sunday night crowd. If you grew up in church, especially Southern Baptist Church, then you understand that reference. But uh, if you didn't, uh, you know that I know that uh, Sunday night crowds in, in most churches are, are about half, maybe a third or fourth of what they are on Sunday mornings. And so this feels like a good Sunday night kind of crowd. So glad you're here to open the new year worshiping Jesus. The hospice industry I work in experiences this lull every year uh, between around the end of November and around the end of December, where during that season we have fewer admits um, than any other time of the year. What could possibly be the reason for that? Um, it's this phenomenon known as the holidays, right? Uh, because it's the holiday season, families don't want to make the hard choices they have to make, like ask, uh, asking or talking to their parents or grandparents about being put on hospice services because the end of life is, is coming. And so they, they put it off until after the holidays, after the holidays. And uh, this is a, a real deal. Businesses, in fact, know that productivity drops during this season. So some businesses are actually offering incentives to their employees during the holiday season to help them be more productive. Like maybe if we give you a paid day to go shopping, you can get all that done in one day and have more time to be focused on work while you're here. Uh, one set of studies shows that uh, this is not going away because the younger you are, the earlier uh, you go into the holiday lull and it's harder to focus. So for millennials, it's around December 16th. For baby boomers, it's around December 20th. And so it looks like this trend is only going to increase. But whether you fully engaged in the holiday lull or whether you held off and were kind of disciplined during this six-week stretch or maybe you re-engaged today, wherever you fell in that paradigm, uh, tomorrow in about 36 hours, it's over. The holidays are over tomorrow. And so we are officially going to be after the holidays, and we can resume life as normal. In fact, you'll have this conversation this week. I'm willing to, to wager money on this. You'll run into somebody, hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, you know, just getting back into the normal routine, getting back into life after the holidays. Like, that conversation will happen this week with somebody. Um, just text me after it happens and say, you know, you're right. You're like a prophet or something. Um, entering a new year, whether you engaged in the holiday lull or whether you kind of were disciplined through the holidays, entering a new year is a good time for everyone to refocus. We all get the same thing. We get a new calendar, fresh start. And uh, what we try to do in uh, the Crossing Church every January is take time during this month um, to interrupt whatever sermon series we're in to take uh, four weeks to do kind of a refocusing of who we are as followers of Jesus. Uh, so today and next Sunday, we'll focus on the Word of God and prayer, two essentials of the Christian life, uh, two things that without which we wouldn't be alive in Christ, without which you would not be spiritually healthy, maturing and being transformed by Jesus. If your life is not regularly engaged in prayer and the Word of God, you're definitely going to become stagnant. And the Word of God, and, and if you do this long enough, if you're stagnant long enough in prayer, in the Word of God, you may, in fact, over time, reveal that you're not really a follower of Jesus. 
Like if you're just disengaged from the word, you're disengaged in prayer, you do that long enough, you may in fact reveal, I was just religious. I've never truly come alive in Christ. And we'll get more to more of that later on. But then we'll take two weeks to look at two social issues with gospel implications, and that's the issue of racial reconciliation. We do that in conjunction with Martin Luther King Holiday and Sanctity of Human Life that we do in conjunction with Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And uh, we want to focus on uh, these four issues in January. It's not original with us. We totally ripped that off from other churches who do it. But we felt in total agreement that this was an important way to enter every single calendar year. Here are spiritual disciplines that have to be part of your life as a follower of Jesus. And here are two ways where the gospel impacts culture on two very hot-button issues, racial reconciliation and sanctity of human life. The one thing we want to make sure as we engage these four issues this month is that we are seeking change in us and change in our culture that flows from the gospel, right? And so we're going we're gonna to engage these issues in a very uh, similar way each week. Like, we don't want just to modify our behaviors and only experience outward change, outward morality. We want to be changed from the inside out that leads to behavioral change. So uh, what we want to do, what we're asking uh, you to do, what we're asking ourselves to do, praying that the Crossing Church would do, is, is this. I'll put it on the slide. Here's what we want to do. We want to engage God deeply in His Word. Engage the Word of God deeply and consistently. So that's what we want to do. Okay? That's what we want to see happen in the Crossing Church, in the people of our church. There's a way to do that, to engage the Word of God consistently and deeply, and it not be transformational and life-giving. Now, you could totally do that, and it not give you life, give life to others, it not change you. If you just take that idea to know the Bible, be a, study, a student of the Bible, be a student of the Scriptures, you can be amazingly skilled at your knowledge of the Bible and not change at all and not give yourself life or see life come to yourself and not be life-giving to others. In fact, it could be, in fact, more detrimental than helpful if you do this the wrong way. How is it possible? Well, if you only approach the Bible academically, if you only are approaching the scriptures for the enhancement of your theological brain, if you're only doing it to impress others, to win arguments, to prove to others how amazing you are in your knowledge of the scriptures, if that is you, then your engagement with God's word will not give life to you and life to others. In fact, you would suck life from yourself and from others. Jesus was surrounded by people like this during his ministry. We've seen them throughout the Gospel of Mark. Religious leaders who in the days of Jesus were on a different level than anyone else as far as knowledge of the Scriptures. Intellectually, there was no one close to them as far as who knew God with their minds. But in their hearts, no one was further away from from God than the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They received the strongest rebukes from Jesus. In Mark chapter 7, we saw. In Mark chapter 8, we walked through the Gospel of Mark last year. I'm going to pick that up in February. They were accused of Jesus for the only sin in Mark chapter 3 that can't be forgiven, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, the religious leaders of the Jews. In other gospel accounts, and later in Mark, it's going to get worse. For instance, in John chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. 
You guys are experts at searching the scriptures. Nobody in our culture, Jesus could say to them, knows the Bible like you guys. You're looking for eternal life and you're completely missing the focus of the scriptures, which is Jesus. Guys, you can know the scriptures, you can check the box, you can impress others with how much you have memorized, as these religious leaders had much of the Old Testament memorized in the original language, which was Hebrew. You can read your Bible through, through this year. You can never miss a day. You can study the Bible. But, but you can never, you'll never experience life-giving transformation that gives life to you and others if you aren't engaging for the right reasons with the right motivations. In essence, you are practicing religion and you're not experiencing the gospel. Your theological brain is growing while your heart is hardening. Like I remember uh, a little over 10 years ago, podcasting became a thing. And I discovered while I was in seminary, uh, sermon podcasting where pastors that I looked up to and respected or guys I just had heard of began to put their sermons online and, and it's before smartphones at least for me it was before smartphones and so I had to download them onto a computer I had to transfer them to an mp3 player which I would then put in my pocket and I'd mow the yard or be cleaning dishes around the house and listening to, to John Piper or Mark Driscoll or Adrian Rogers or Chuck Swindoll all these different guys preach and uh and, and while sometimes I would be listening to sermons, the kids were much younger, they would do things, or Jennifer would do something, I would get frustrated at something they would do, and I would like yell at them, fuss at them, and be really mean. While I'm listening to a sermon about how to love Jesus, and how to love your family, and how to be a good husband, and how to be a good father, it was, we, we laugh about it now, but it was ridiculous, you know? Uh, Quit bothering me, I'm trying to read my Bible, you know, we do stuff like that now to be funny, but... That's how ridiculous we can be. While we're engaged with the life-transforming Word of God, we can absolutely demonstrate fruit that has nothing to do with the Word of God. So we don't want to call you to engage with God's Word in 2017 without thinking through how it should flow from your identity, which comes from the person and work of God and His identity. And so we want to think through all of these topics in January, all four of them, through the lens of these four questions that I put on a slide. Who is God? What has God done? Who are we? What do we do? So the action, what we do, flows from our identity, who we are, which flows from the character and nature of God and what He has done primarily through Jesus Christ. You get this backwards and you allow what you do to drive your identity, to drive your definition of God, and you're religious. That's all you are, is you're religious. But the gospel says it all flows from who God is, what God has done, who we are, who we become as a, a people, and, and then, and only then, do we do the things that we do as Christians. And it's a constant battle in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives to not get this backwards. To make sure what we do is flowing from our identity, which is flowing from the character and nature of God and who, he's, who He is and what He's done in Christ. Like, I would encourage you to, to think through every aspect of what you're doing in 2017 through these four questions. And we didn't come up with these. We, we've learned these from the Soma family as we've been engaged with them over the last several years. But, like, for instance, a lot of people, uh, one of their New Year's resolutions is to get in shape physically. So that's what you do. Become healthier physically. Eat better, work out, rest better, those sorts of things. So how does that flow from who you are, who God is, and what God has done in Christ. 
Like if you're only getting in shape to prove something or have these cool before-after pics or to make this amazing Facebook video of yourself working out and doing push-ups for people or to have people amazed at you or to win a contest even. So taking care of this physical body, if you're only doing it for those reasons and not flowing out of your identity, you'll do good for a while. But will it last? Will it add to your soul and the health of your soul? Will it add to the life that you give other people? Like I know in the past when I've tried to, to do those sorts of things, like eat certain things or not eat certain things, man, I can become like the crankiest person, the most aggravating, aggravated person uh, to be around because I'm just mad because I there's low sugar or not too much protein or I don't know, not enough carbs. I don't know what it is. Even Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Bodily training is of some value. It has some value, sure. Eat right, take care of your body. But godliness is of value in every way. So how can you practice bodily training with godliness and not devoid of godliness? Or maybe this year you want to get healthier financially, or maybe in your relationships you want to be a better a friend or husband or wife or parent or child or maybe you want to be a better worker at your job or student in school. Think through all of those things through this prism of these four questions so that it flows from the gospel and you're not just creating more idols to worship or another religion, which becomes a religion of you because you're doing so amazing at those things. So let's focus these four questions on the Word of God. What we desire is to engage God's word deeply and consistently, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That should be a, a given. Um, but let's go back to that first question, who is God? And in terms of the Bible and scriptures, I mean, that's a, that's a very big question. But in terms of the Bible and scriptures, who is God? God is, is a God who has chosen to make himself known. God is a God who has chosen to make himself known. Now, apart from God doing this, we, we could not know God. Apart from God choosing to make himself known, we wouldn't know him. So think through, go back to creation. Before anything was created, there was God, Father, Son, and Spirit, existing for, for before time, for, for all of eternity past, in perfect relationship with each other. He had no needs. Father, Son, and Spirit had no needs. He needed nothing. He didn't create because he needed something or something was lacking. He was fully content. He was God. And he chose... Out of the purpose of his will, out of the, the freedom of his will, out of the desire of his, his will to create. And so he created spirit beings called angels, some of which rebelled and he cast them out of heaven, to, which would become demons. And then later on he created all things that we see as creation. The stars, the, the moons, the planets, the solar systems, the universe, the animals, the plants, the oceans, the mountains, and eventually people. We are the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman created in His image, created to know Him, love Him, obey Him, and worship Him, created to rule with Him over creation. And even when they failed and were punished and kicked out of the garden, God keeps choosing to come after us. He keeps showing up and revealing Himself to us. He keeps coming to help us, to help us to be who He's created us to be. In other words, from the beginning, he not only chose to create us, but even when we messed everything up, he chose to come after us over and over and over so that we would know him, so that we would love him, so that we would be in this relationship with him. 
So when things are going bad, God goes and reveals himself and shows grace to this man named Noah and his family and says, I'm about to judge everybody and wipe everyone out, but I want to save you and your family to continue this thing called humanity. We're messing things up at the Tower of Babel and God comes, takes the initiative to come down, confuse our language so that we would finally do what he told us to do in the beginning, to, to, to fill the earth, multiply and fill the earth, scatter throughout the world. God comes and reveals himself to an idol worshiper in Ur, in Ur named Abram. And through Abram, he would institute this new plan with this new people. God comes and reveals the same thing to Abram's son, Isaac, and to Isaac's son, Jacob. Eventually, he would reveal himself to this man named Moses through a burning bush. And through Moses, the story and these revelations of God began to be written down so they could be preserved and remembered in this thing called the Bible. Now understand, if God hadn't chosen to reveal himself to us, to these people, we could not know him. Our own wisdom, our own brains, our own intellect, our own nature is not enough. 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. The world does not know God through their own wisdom. It's not possible for man to figure out God. It can't happen. Like there are man-created religions. We know that they're, they're out there. God reveals himself to somebody, this special message that nobody's ever gotten before, whether it comes through golden tablets or whatever, dreams, visions. They all write it in this book that's never existed before, and now religions have been created. Right? That's man's attempt in his own wisdom to understand God, and it's always, uh, it's always a creation of a false God, false religion. Man's wisdom is not enough to know God. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. Now, you can study the Bible in your natural ability with your natural brain apart from the Spirit of God and treat it like any other academic book. You can learn history and archaeology and the stories about battles and wars and people and events. You can, you can study the Bible, but to, but to understand, as Paul says, the things of the Spirit of God, to accept the things of the Spirit of God, doesn't happen to the natural man. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul gives us more insight to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The reason the natural man, apart from the Spirit of God, people who don't know Jesus through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, don't understand the things of God, is because they are, in fact, being actively blinded by the God of this age, the enemy of God, Satan, Lucifer. He is keeping their eyesight veiled from seeing the reality and the truth of God. And until, by God's grace, in God's spirit, he opens our eyes and helps us to see, opens our ears and helps us to hear, then the things of God just are, are confusing and don't make sense. Like I, I remember, I was, I was saved at an old enough age that I remember trying to be a Christian, because I grew up in church, my dad's a pastor, trying to be a Christian before I had the spirit of God living in me, and then the difference that happened in me when the spirit of God came alive. Like I remember trying to study the Bible when I wasn't a believer. And I would read it and try to read it, and it, it just didn't make sense at all. Like, I knew the Bible stories because I went to Sunday school. And I could straight dominate Bible trivia. But, I, like, studying the Bible, the stories, it was just 
stories. Like nothing resonated in my heart when I read the scriptures. And the main reason I knew the difference is because once I came alive in Christ, once I knew the author of the scriptures, then the Bible took on a whole different meaning for me. It, it made, um, made much more sense why I would study this book. Why I would desire this, this book. Like even in Romans 1, where we learn that God's revealed himself somewhat through creation. We, as natural men and women, apart from the Spirit of God, we decided to worship the creation and not the creator. So apart from God choosing to be known and by his Spirit opening our eyes to help us to see, we don't understand God. We worship the creation and not the creator. And understand this, that, that even to us, assuming we're all believers in this room, even to followers of Jesus, that he has chosen to make himself known, we still don't know it all and can't know it all about God. We're still incredibly limited. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to God. There are things about God, secret things about God, that not only he has chosen not to reveal, but if he did choose to reveal them, we still wouldn't understand them. Paul, maybe the smartest man who's ever lived, who wrote some of the thickest theology that's ever been written in Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, gets to the end of Romans 11, and his, his response is, Oh, the depths of the riches of, and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. I've just written all this stuff that you theologians aren't going to be able to figure out for several hundred years or thousands of years. You're still fighting over. And even I, who understand all this, still get to this aspect of God that he's, he's unsearchable. He's inscrutable. I can't understand him. If we knew all there was to know about God, if we understood all there was to understand about God, then we would be God. But we approach God with humility because we can only know and understand him as he has chosen to make himself known. But what he has given us is more than enough for our entire lives now and to spend forever with him. And I don't believe when we enter the eternal state, we're going to become omniscient like God. I believe we're going to continue to learn. And so then we've got forever to learn everything amazing about him. And we're still not going to exhaust the character and nature of God. We're always going to be learning. He's that big. He's that amazing. He's that incredible. And he's chosen to make himself known. How did he do that? So who God is, he's a God who has chosen to make himself known. How has he done that? He has chosen to reveal himself, secondly, through Jesus and his word. He's chosen to reveal himself through Jesus and his word. That's how he's chosen to make himself known. Now, as I mentioned, God has chosen to reveal himself somewhat in creation. You can learn some things about God, as we learn in Romans 1, from creation. His majesty, his power, his creative ability, his might. So you can learn some things about God from sitting in a deer stand or in your fishing boat. Just like some people can learn some things about you from social media. Right? But does anyone truly know a person from a distance? Looking at them from across a room, watching their Twitter feed or Facebook posts. We know Hamilton from the musical, but do we really know Alexander Hamilton, the person? My daughter would say, yes, we absolutely do. So knowledge about God from creation alone isn't enough to know God in relationship. We need something more. 
And so for many people, the only word that the Lord gave them was when he showed up, when he appeared in a vision or a dream, or he spoke to them, or, or, or he appeared to them like for Moses in a burning bush. Moses had no scriptures to go to. God just one day set a bush on fire, and it didn't burn up. Moses is like, that's weird. I better go check that out. And he gets close, and it's God in a burning bush. But Moses only got one burning bush. Until God, through Moses, began to write down his words to his people so they could be passed along. So oral was good, and oral cultures were, are amazing at their ability to pass along information and stories and truths. But written is even better. Written can be preserved easier and be translated to more people. And what we learn from the written word of God is that the best and most accurate revelation of God, who he is, was through this man we call Jesus. There's some things you can learn about God through creation. But you really want to know God you have to know Jesus. What we learn is that the entire Bible was written to reveal Jesus, that he is in fact God. And in Jesus we see who God is. And he wrote this in the Bible through men inspired by the Spirit of God. These men were not simply robotic copiers, but through their unique personalities, experiences, and talents, God spoke, they wrote, and what they wrote was the Word of God. Unlike any other book that's ever been written on the face of the earth. Like, there's no book like this. None. No book has... Well, let's just look at some passages, okay? See in these passages some of these ideas. John chapter 14, 8 through 10. Philip said to him, uh, talking to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father as it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him... Now, this is right before Jesus is arrested. So they've been with him for three years now. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Now, in the, the, the mindset of a first century Jew, this idea of knowing God the Father like this is mind-blowing. And Jesus says, if you want to know the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of the Israelites throughout all the years of the Old Testament, look at me. Watch me. Now, for a first century Jew, a person to say that is either certifiably crazy, or he's a, a huckster, as C.S. Lewis said, or he actually is who he says he is. And this is what Jesus said to them. He, he genuinely believed, if you want to know me, God, you want to know the Father, know me. Look at me. I am the perfect representation, the perfect picture of who God is. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law of prophets was a way of referring to the Old Testament. Do not think I've come to do away with the Old Testament. I have not come to do that, Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. I've come to fulfill them, to fill them up, to give them their intended meaning, to be a, a picture of what all of that was pointing to. All of that was pointing to me. You see it even clearer in a place like Luke 24, 44 through 45. He said to them, his 12 disciples, actually 11 at this point, after the resurrection, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
Jesus talking to his 11 remaining disciples. Judas has done betrayed him and gone and killed himself. Jesus speaking to them, telling them, these are the words I'm speaking to you. Everything written in the Old Testament, he calls it the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms, but that was a way of referring to the Old Testament, was written that, that I, in me, would fulfill them. And then, look at this, he opened their minds to truly, for the first time, understand the Scriptures. You want to know why the disciples were so boneheaded throughout the Gospels? Because this hadn't happened yet. Now, the resurrected Jesus has this amazing Bible study where he begins to go through the Old Testament and say, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me. So that by the day of Pentecost, these guys filled with the Spirit of God, oh, we got it now. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the Son, the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Long ago, God spoke in many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now he has spoken through one voice, the Son of God, Jesus. And the passage that you may have turned to, that you may have thought I'm never going to get to, 2 Timothy 3, 14-17. Paul saying to Timothy, But as for you, Timothy, continue what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this is mind-blowing. Paul saying to Timothy, you have learned, now continue and firmly believe this, this learning, this teaching from childhood up until now that is acquainted with, you're acquainted with these sacred writings. This is not referring to the Bible. The Bible, the New Testament was being written. This is referring to the Old Testament. Like if all we had was the Old Testament, we would, knowing that what the New Testament is, we would feel very shortchanged. Like, I'm, give me the New Testament. That's where it really gets good. I got red letters. I know exactly what Jesus said. But Paul saying to Timothy said, you have been acquainted from childhood with these sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament was enough for Timothy to become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. Because now we have the New Testament. Now it's all clear. What was shadows is now sight. What is, is foggy is now much more clear. And then he goes on to say this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture... All of it, even the begats in the King James Version, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so, even the, the ceremonial laws, take this animal, cut this off, slaughter it, blood pouring out, do this with it, burn its entrails, and all the, the disgusting parts of the Old Testament ceremonial law, all the strange food regulations, all Scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, theonoustos, God 
Neustos, breathe, the Spirit of God, which means because it is breathed out by God, the Spirit of God, all Scripture has the same character and nature of God. This book, these Scriptures, all Scripture is breathed out by God, has the same character and nature of God. That means it's true, it's right, it's profitable, it's wise, it's consistent. It's, it's everything we need it to be. It's profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. We have everything we need in the Scriptures to do everything God calls us to do. Everything. There's nothing lacking. You don't have to go anywhere else other than the Scriptures. Empowered by the Spirit of God, understood to the people of God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that you that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life, not dying and going to heaven, going to heaven when you die, but eternal life is something that begins now because eternal life is what? Knowing God, knowing you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is what eternal life is, and that begins the moment you come to know God through His Son, Jesus and you come alive in Christ and are born again. And then Jesus, just a few verses later, will continue that prayer in John 17. This is a prayer he prayed the night he was arrested. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. We are sanctified, made more like Jesus through the word of God, which is the truth of God. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. There is no other person who has ever lived on the face of the earth through whom we know God and have a relationship with Him through. None. That's it. It's Jesus. It's the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are how we know Jesus. We know God through the living Word of God, Jesus, and we know Jesus through the written Word of God, the Scriptures. No other book, no other man, no other church, no other denomination. It's Jesus and the Bible, and Bible empowered by the Spirit of God. That's it. Any church, any pastor, any denomination tells you you can know God, have a relationship with God other than Jesus in the Bible. They are heretical and they are leading you astray. We know God as God has chosen to make himself known through Jesus and his word. So then who are we? If God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus in the word of God, then who are we? We are a people who have been made alive and sustained through Jesus and the Bible. We are people who have been made alive and sustained through Jesus and his word. This is why we can't emphasize the Bible enough, why everything we do is driven by scripture, why we just take time when we gather here on Sunday is just to read scripture, why everything we do is driven by scripture, why why we, Lord willing, will start off every year like this. The essentialness of Scripture cannot be overstated. It's through Jesus, the Word of God, that we live and are sustained in our spiritual life. Romans 10, 9-17. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's the gospel. How can you be saved? Confessing with your heart, believing with your soul in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will be not put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at this. How then will they call on him whom they not believe? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We come alive spiritually through faith in Jesus. And that faith is in the word of Christ. The word of Christ is essential to us coming alive, to having faith apart from the scriptures. We have nothing. We have no relationship with God. We have no way back. We have no hope. We are eternally lost. But God has chosen to make himself known and make a way back through the word of Christ, believing it. 1 Peter 1, 23-25, Since you have been born again, how are we born again? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It, it's just, it still blows my mind that proclaiming this message of Jesus Christ saves people. They come alive through these words. Because it's not my words. It's not our words. It is the word of God empowered by the Spirit of God. People hear them. They see that they are a sinner who need a Savior. They see the beauty, the glory of Jesus Christ. And they believe in Jesus. And they come alive in Jesus. They like become a new person from the inside out. They have a soul now that will live forever with God and his people. This happens through words. Like, how is this possible? It seems like it should be harder. It's not. Except for the one who went to the cross. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. How do you do that apart from the scriptures? You don't don't know God through Netflix or Twitter or Facebook. You know God through the scriptures. Unless, you know, people are posting the Bible verses as they do all the time. Then I guess that could count. It's not just... That we have life from Jesus and his word. We have our lives sustained through Jesus and his word. Hebrews 1.3, we saw where um, um, his, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So just our physical lives, the fact your heart is still beating, your brain is still working, your eyes still see, your lungs still have breath in them, is because Jesus is keeping you alive. He's upholding the universe. The fact that the universe hasn't collapsed, there hasn't been uh, Armageddon, the world still exists the way that it exists, is because Jesus is keeping it going. We're not going to mess that up, even though we should be good stewards of nature. And our spiritual lives are sustained, as Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, quoting the Old Testament, when Satan was tempting him to eat bread after he had fasted for 40 days. Jesus said to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There is something more important than food. Now, it's easy to say on January 1, after we ate everything for the last four weeks, Right? But believe that on November 24th, whenever Thanksgiving is. There are things more important than food. So because we are a people made alive by the word of God and have life sustained by the word of God, we engage God in his word. This is who we are. 
We want to know the one who gave us life. We want to know the one who sustained our life. We want to know the one who went to Calvary and died on the cross for our sins. We want to know the one who rose from the dead. We want to know the one whose spirit fills us and and continues to give us life. We want to know the one who flung the stars into heaven. The one who is the father over all the universe. We want to know him. The one who looks at us, sinful human beings, and calls us son and daughter. We want to know him because we love him, because we've been changed by him. The dangerous thing is that we can go for a season without feasting on the word and not die. Like, it'd be easy if any day we missed our quiet time, we dropped dead. Like, we're never missing a quiet time, right? It'd be easy if it was like that, but it's not like that. Just like with physical food, you can fast and your body can consume its reserves for a long time before you die physically. So you can go for a season without engaging God in his word and you don't just drop dead. And we can fool people for a long time with the intellectual knowledge we have of the scriptures. And you can pretend for a while, living on the fumes of past devotions. But eventually your sins will be harder to cover up. Eventually our sins will be more easily surfaced and show themselves. And our spiritual shallowness will eventually be revealed. Your lack of engaging the word will eventually manifest itself. People will see But if you do engage God and his word deeply as a follower of Jesus and consistently empowered by the spirit of God, then you become a person that J.I. Packer talks about in his book, Knowing God. Those who know God, four things. They have great energy for God. They have great thoughts of God. They show great boldness for God. And they have great contentment in God. Who doesn't want to be that person? Great energy for him. Great thoughts of him. Great boldness for him. Great contentment in him. Are you experiencing that? Is this you? Or maybe your walk with Jesus is more like a virtual reality experience. Everybody's buying these ridiculous goggles now. I have mine. I got them back in the summer. You put your phone in, you put your earbuds in, and then through the eyes of whoever shot the video, you're on a roller coaster, you're climbing a, a mountain, you're, you're on top of this building in New York City, kind of looking around, you're swimming with sharks, except you're not doing any of that. You're trying to experience it through the eyes of someone who actually experienced it. And sometimes I wonder if that's what we do in our walks with Jesus. We're substituting someone else's walk with Jesus for our walk with Jesus and we're thinking that it's real and it's really not because it's not ours, it's theirs. So I'm listening to and I'm reading and I'm watching everything by John Piper and I think that's my walk with Jesus but that's John Piper's walk with Jesus. Or Matt Chandler or Tim Keller or David Platt or uh, John Mark McMillan, Ann Boskamp, Beth Moore, Tim Tebow, whoever. (laughs) A sanctified sanctified version of Jen Hatmaker, whoever it is. (laughs) But seriously, it's not your walk, it's not your heart, it's theirs. You're consuming these resources thinking it's you, but it's them. How do you know? How do you know if it's you or if it's them? What does your relationship to God and His Word? look like? Are you passionately pursuing and engaging God in His Word? 
Are you growing more and more devoted to him because of your engagement to his word? Are you more excited and devoted to the word of God than you are streaming movies, social media? Like I get convicted every time I go watch a movie because I get all excited like everybody else does. Rogue One, come on, Abigail and Grace, we're going. We get our popcorn and sit down and eat all the popcorn before the movie starts and we're so fired up to watch this amazing movie. And every time the thought comes in my head, why aren't you this excited about the Bible? Ugh. Ruins the movie, God. <laughs> Not really, but I do. I do have that tinge of conviction. Like, why? Like, why do I not have the same excitement about engaging the Word of God? I mean, sometimes it's there, right? But a lot of times it's not. And it's not to say that every morning is like watching Rogue One, as far as your emotions or whatever movie you love. It's not to say that every day is like that. There are days where you engage with God's Word, and it is just duty. Because you know it's the right thing to do and you're not feeling it. But that duty, that, that holding, being disciplined always leads to joy, always leads to delight. It shouldn't stay there. Or something is really wrong with your heart. So the practical stuff about engaging the word matters. I haven't really talked about practical stuff. I'll post some stuff on the city tomorrow to help you out. Probably on our Facebook page. Um, and please add to that things that you've learned through the years practically that help you engage with God's Word. Like you need a good Bible, you need a good translation of the Bible. Maybe you need an audio Bible if, um, if you learn best by hearing and not reading. Um, you, you, you need good study tools. You need to figure out time and space. Like there's, this needs to be time that you do this alone. Now you should also do it in a community, which means that whatever God shows you, reveals to you, however He speaks to you, challenges you when you're alone with Him... You share with your community of believers. In your DNA groups, men with men, women with women, if you're not engaged in a DNA group, please, please see us, see me, see Kendrick, see Scott, so we can get you engaged in a DNA group. So you're, you're learning things about God, you're engaging with God alone, but you're sharing it with your community, your missional community, your DNA group. Uh, we have the CBR journal in the back in those boxes. Uh, I posted yesterday uh, on the city about that. It's a great tool to engage with God and His Word. You can use the plan that they have in there and do that with your DNA group. Or you can come up with your own plan and just journal in the CBR journal. Practical stuff, tools matter. Um, in fact, uh, last night I downloaded an app I, I just discovered, I think it's new, called Verses that help you memorize Scripture. And you can do it for free if you like the KJV, or you can spend a little bit of money and get uh, a translation that you can actually understand and memorize the Bible through one of those versions. But it's embarrassing the number of resources and the accessibility we have to the Word of God. When you consider um, the history of the church, the history of God's people, this thing used to be in scrolls that only certain people had access to. When you, when you consider our brothers and sisters around the world who still are waiting for the Bible to be translated in their language. When you consider what we have here in America. And we will stand and give account for that before God. But don't head into the new year to engage God in His Word deeply and consistently with only a plan, with only the practical. Guys, we got to have the right hearts. The reality is, the best plan will not give you the right heart. But if your heart is right to engage God deeply and consistently, empowered by the Word for the right reasons, any plan will do. Any plan will do. 
If you're looking to a plan to do what only the Spirit of God can do in your heart, repent and believe again in the gospel of Jesus that saves us, changes us, gives us new hearts, and gives us new desires, that desire to know God through His Word. God has chosen to reveal Himself through Jesus, through His Word, to make us this people that desire to know Him and love Him. And we get to do this through the Bible. And these people engage God in His Word. And now go, we go and spend 2017 in the Word of God as one of those people like never before. But we have no idea what 2017 is going to be like. Can't be worse than 2016, right? So everybody says, we have no idea what 2017 is going to look like. So let's, on day one, let's say, there's never going to be another year like this year that I spend in the Word of God. My passion for Him, my love for Him, my devotion to His Word is going to be um, this year unlike any other year. And, and when I fail, I won't just quit, but I again repent, believe the gospel that Jesus is still for me. My identity is secure in Him. And so again, I can engage God and His Word. We have one shot at 2017. One shot. How much do you think God desires for you to know Him, love Him, and obey Him? How much do you think God desires for you to experience Him and His grace this year? There's nothing He wants for us more. So let's get caught up in that and live and pursue that like never before. Together, in community, through the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that You have chosen to reveal Yourself. Truly, apart from that, we would be hopeless, lost, dead, blind men in dark rooms groping about, looking for a way out. But you came and showed yourself, spoke, showed up in the form of a a baby who grew into a man that we call Jesus, died on the cross and rose from the dead and and sent the Spirit of God to dwell in the people of God called the church. And so by your grace, we can, we can know you, the God who created the heavens and earth. We can call you Father. We thank you for all these things. So help us to be a people that desire you, the desire to know you through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this evening.